Peak by Anders Ericsson. One sentence summary. Peak accumulates everything the pioneer researcher on deliberate practice has learned about expert performance through decades of exploration and analysis of what separates those who are average from those who are world-class at what they do. My favorite quote from the author is, Learning isn't a way of reaching one's potential, but rather a way of developing it. Anders Ericsson. If you've spent a little bit of time on this site, you'll likely have come across a phrase that's dropped often in popular science. Deliberate practice. This idea represents an alternative to the long-prevailing notion that world-class performance is the result of mere talent and innate ability. Bounce, Deep Work and The Art of Learning are just a few of numerous bestsellers discussing this topic you'll find on 4-Minute Books. What we haven't done so far is trace this powerful concept back to its humble beginnings. Anders Ericsson is the true pioneer in this field. It's his research that the 10,000 hour rule is based on, and he's been investigating peak performance for decades. Only in 2016 did he finally wrap everything he's learned so far into this book, called Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. Here are my three favorite lessons about how the idea has developed and transformed over the years, and why it puts an end to the talent versus skill debate. 1. The path professionals take is called purposeful practice, and it consists of four parts. 2. When you practice in a mature field of expertise and have someone to guide you, purposeful practice becomes deliberate. 3. True genius isn't an innate talent, but the mere result of years of deliberate practice. Are you sick and tired of believing you can't become who you want because you weren't built to? Then, this is for you. Peak, lesson 1. Professionals practice with purpose, which is a four-part approach. This answers the question, what is the setup of practice professionals use to excel in their fields? Way back in the 1970s, Anders Ericsson did a study with one of his undergraduate students named Steve. The goal was to see if Steve could significantly improve his ability to remember a sequence of numbers. When they began working together, Steve could remember the average length most people have no trouble with, seven digits in a row. Steve hadn't had any memory training before and he wasn't particularly good with numbers either. At the end of the study, several months later, Steve could remember number sequences up to 82 digits long. What happened in between? Four things specifically which shaped Steve's practice environment. One. He had a clear, specific goal. Memorize more numbers. 2. Steve was focused during practice. A researcher recited the numbers to him in one-second intervals. There were no distractions. 3. Ericsson constantly pushed him to achieve more. When he pulled off 32 numbers, they'd start again with 32 the next session, then shoot for 33. Lastly, Steve received feedback after every attempt telling him exactly how he had done. These four things combined create a training environment Ericsson calls purposeful practice. However, purposeful practice is just a stepping stone. For the real deal, two more things must happen. Peak, lesson two. Purposeful practice becomes deliberate when it's guided and within a well-developed field. This answers the question, what is the differentiator between Deliberate practice and purposeful practice that might already be good, but not quite what you need to go world-class. Going from average to world-class performer is like climbing a ladder with an infinite number of rungs. The difference between good and great is in how fast you can get to the next rung. 
including how many you can skip altogether. This happens when your practice turns from purposeful to deliberate, for which two elements must come together. First, your practice must take place in a field that is well established. The longer it's been around and the more seasoned experts you can potentially access, the better. If there is a clear gap in performance between beginners and pros, that's a good sign. And second, your practice must be guided by a trainer, coach or mentor who can instruct you in the activities necessary to improve. Take music for example. It's been around forever and hundreds of training techniques for all kinds of instruments have been refined and crafted until today. By having a violin teacher who shows you how to play scales the best way, you skip a lot of steps and frustrating attempts. Leveraging the guidance of someone with access to a big share of the resources and strategies in your field takes your practice from purposeful to informed. And that's what makes it deliberate. Peak Lesson 3 Even the world's greatest talents are really the result of years of deliberate practice. This answers the question, how can we explain child prodigies and people who excel in their fields at a really young age? But what about child prodigies, Nick? When did they practice? Erickson argues there is no evidence to prove something such as innate talent exists, and that even the most gifted among us are the result of lots and lots of deliberate practice. Even Mozart was trained, not just talented. He just happened to receive excellent training, particularly from his father, starting before he was four years old. Contrary to popular belief, Mozart likely only started composing quote-unquote proper music in his teenage years by when he had put in a decade's worth of deliberate practice already. Plus, even if you consider others to be more of a natural than you, it wouldn't change the fact that you too can become world class, thanks to deliberate practice. Whether our starting points differ or not becomes moot. He who practices the most and does so deliberately wins. So get off the complaint train and start calling potential mentors. My personal takeaways from peak for 2017. I was really happy to find this book on Blinkist because I had heard people raving about it and in 2016 it came out, it's fairly new. Again, the guy has done his research for decades but never written a popular science book that explains everything in a more in a more humble or easily understandable way for most people rather than just scientific research papers. And so I was really hyped to find out this book is out. Um, then again, there's not, because deliberate practice has been talked about so much and especially online, so we knew a bunch of the components already. Um, what's interesting to me was that, first of all, he made a precursor to deliberate practice, the purposeful practice. Um when really you would think sometimes some articles they describe purposeful practice and call it deliberate practice so obviously there's going to be a whole lot of confusion about what it really is now the the second the two parts that make your practice deliberate from purposeful are actually really interesting your your practice must take place in a field that's well established have you thought about that so that explains for example why some startups that became hugely successful were created by people who didn't have a clue about the industry or who weren't considered experts or who were really young when they founded it, right? Because startups usually tackle things that are either non-existent yet 
or that change the industry in such a grand way that they make an industry obsolete, they establish a new one or something like that. So with startup, the environment is very messy. It's not like somebody came up with like a new way to, you know, like teach music and it will be revolutionary, right? Because humans learn music, have learned music the same way for ages. The field's been around for a long, long time. So it would be really hard to come up with a startup that does something super well in terms of teaching people music um, if you're an amateur, right? Because that's a well-established field. The field of online payments, for example, on the other hand, is very different. It's a very new field still, even at 10, 15 years old, with PayPal being one of the first players there. Um, so there's still lots of room for newcomers and amateurs, quote-unquote, to develop ideas that are might be successful, like Bitcoin was, for example, <clears throat> the cryptocurrency. I think it's been around, I don't know if it was 2010 or earlier, but if you bought it in 2010, if you bought Bitcoin for $1,000, you would now have $36 million. That's pretty insane, right? Seven years and the return is 36,000 times. That's pretty insane. Um. So yeah, that, there's a big difference there, right? So first of all, the question you should ask is, hmm, how old is my field? And for me, for example, writing is as old as humans themselves almost, right? Writing is super old. So writing very much hands itself to deliberate practice. I can, first of all, I can look for trainers, coaches, and mentors, which is the second part, that have a style that I aspire to, right? The style that I like, a style that maybe I want to go into the direction in. For example, someone like Seth Godin writes very short sentences, very succinct, um, keeps his paragraphs um, very short, so there's lots of space between the words, very conversational tone, uses lots of examples. Um, so there's a couple things I could, you know, like take from his style by practicing deliberately in his way. There's tons of books about writing and writing advice from fiction to nonfiction. People like Stephen King and best-selling authors have written books about writing. Um, so there's lots and lots of material to go through and to make me go from beginner to pro. And there's a clear difference also because having a bestseller is not something many people achieve, right? So again, this contrasts to an industry or field that's very, very new, like if you were to take fidget spinners, if you know these, these are the hand spinner thingies that um, have been the latest hype recently. That's fairly new. So nobody really knows how to... You, the point is to balance them, I think. So nobody really knows how to balance them and do cool tricks with them. So you can try and do a whole lot of things and you don't have to be an expert and you could still stand out and succeed. But there's also no clear process that you can follow to actually get there. So that makes it harder because there's no way to practice very deliberately with these things yet. What you could do there, the best thing, is to do purposeful practice, right? So make a specific goal, for example, to balance five spinners at a time at once. To be very focused during your practice, maybe you listen to music, maybe not. Maybe you have a rhythm you act to, maybe not. Having someone push you to achieve more or pushing yourself and saying, okay, I just pulled off uh, three on one hand and I can do three on my other hand. Now let me try four on two hands, right? Or something like that. Um, 
And then, of course, giving yourself feedback and trying to pinpoint, hmm, okay, so I, I, left, I let one fidget spinner fall from my left hand, so my left hand has less balance than the right one, so let me practice my left hand again for a while solo, and so on, right? So the best thing there you could do is purposeful practice. The other part, trainer, coach, or mentor. The mentor thing, first of all, don't go running after a mentor right away. That's one of the most annoying things you can do. People ask me all the time, or not all the time, but often I get questions like, will you mentor me? And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. Because usually the people you want to mentor you are way too busy to actually do that, right? I can answer questions and give feedback here and there, but I can't full-on mentor anyone because I'm not at that point in my career yet. What you can do is, first of all, learn from mentors passively. There's so much content online, YouTube videos, articles, blogs, books that you can use. So start there. And when you get to the end of the line, the end of the rope, and there's nothing left, then you can start reaching out to people. The second thing is, if you have a coach or trainer or something like that, or for example, writing an editor. I don't have an editor. I can't afford an editor. What I can do is I can edit my own stuff, right? So you can be your own trainer or coach. Especially in the beginning, that helps a lot and it gives you a lot of the ROI uh, you get from an actual trainer or coach if you do it for yourself. Obviously, don't do that if you're learning swimming because you might drown, right? So you have to know where this works and where it doesn't. But you can be your own trainer. So I, for example, edit my own stuff. So I will take an answer, turn it into an article and then edit it again and see this was bad, this was good, let me change that and so on. That's the first thing you can do. The other thing you can do is try to, if you want to turn your skill into a business at some point, what you can do is try to get projects where you get not regular but irregular or, or sporadic feedback from people on the outside. So for example, I'm writing articles for Medium and every time I write one, I get feedback because... Uh, Tony Stubblebine edits the articles and the publication so I will get a couple editor's notes from him and other people on how I can make my article better and that's this exact kind of trainer or coach feedback I need. I don't get it all the time and every week or so but I get some of it right and that's still better than none of it okay but please don't go around and ask people to be your mentor do first for yourself and eventually for usually what happens is for the most uh, most hardworking and and most persistent people mentors will eventually show up right good athletes get a great coach eventually or they get a scholarship and they get a coach with that because they put in the work on their own so there's always a lot you can do all by yourself before you actually have to go to this trainer or coach or mentor point if you can afford it if you have lots of money for example and you can pay for a writing coach or something like that by all means, do. It saves time, of course. But most of us don't have that money, so don't go running around sucking for people's time when there's still so much left you can do by yourself. And then lastly, I just like that he debunked this whole myth of like child prodigies. Yes, of course, there are people with better dispositions and more talent. That's a factor. Nobody denies that. But whoever is world-class and really world-class will have inevitably put in the time necessary to get there. You will not meet a single person that got to any place anywhere without putting in hard work. That's just not that's just not happening. That hasn't happened anywhere. Winning the lottery, sure, but actually building a business or actually playing the piano really well or actually writing a great book, nah. -uh. 
no way they got there without hard work. So that's the number one thing. And if you make that hard work purposeful and later deliberate, then you will really, really go places fast. I hope you learned something about deliberate practice and I hope to see you on the next summary.